0: Welcome to the AAP Board Review Podcast. I'm Tejas Shaw, r resident at the University of Pennsylvania.
1: And I'm Dr. Benjamin Gill, a PM&R resident at the University of Missouri in Columbia, Missouri.
0: This podcast is a high yield audible study aid for the field of physiatry. In today's episode, our focus will be on complex pain pathologies.
1: Credit goes to Alec Curtis for his excellent assistance writing this episode. Special thanks to interventional pain physiatrists Dr. David Lee and Dr. Nicholas Medaffer for reviewing this episode. Disclaimer, the AAP Board Review Series is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should not be used to diagnose, prevent, or treat any diseases or conditions. The views expressed are solely those of the hosts and do not represent the official views or policy of any entity. Content for this series is based off current PM&R learning materials and is created by residents for residents. It is not an official board review study guide.
0: All right, let's jump in with the case. A 30-year-old woman comes to the clinic with diffuse, severe pain. She describes it as if she worked out every muscle in her body and is sore all over daily. She says she has felt like this for the past year. She has no history of trauma. She says the pain is worst over her neck, back and shoulders. Moving and exercising makes her pain worse. She has tried anti-inflammatories, but has not found relief. She takes venlafaxi for generalized anxiety disorder and as needed NSAIDs for regular tension headaches. Physical exam shows increased tenderness over the trapezius, posterior neck, and the medial aspect of the knees. On palpation of the sore areas, she states it hurts, but does not jump or wince. What would your differential diagnosis be for this woman?
1: This is a great case. The patient is presenting with diffuse pain, and we don't have a lot of specifics. Before I dive into details on the differential, a broad consideration can go to fibromyalgia, myofascial pain syndrome, polymyalgia rheumatica, hypothyroid myopathy, and complex regional pain syndrome, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus.
0: Excellent. Given the vague symptoms, you have considered multiple pathologies. What parts of the case can we focus on to narrow it down?
1: Well, as the patient is a 30-year-old, all of these conditions are high on the differential other than polymyalgia rheumatica. That typically affects individuals closer to 70 years and above. She also has no history of trauma, and her pain is widespread across upper truncal areas, so that leads us away from CRPS. We may touch on this later, but her presentation is negative for Budapest criteria. Lastly, the description we have is more diffuse than typical myofascial pain syndrome, which has tender spots, or trigger points, in affected muscles that refer to a zone of reference.
0: Myofascial pain syndrome, if I remember correctly, that is quite similar to fibromyalgia. Could you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, sure thing. Myofascial pain syndrome is thought to be due to mechanical disruption, opposed to the CNS dysfunction we will discuss later with fibromyalgia. Myofascial pain syndrome is associated with muscle tension, repetitive motion, or injury and subsequent bands of hot muscles that may have twitch responses. Fibromyalgia also is associated with multiple non-pain findings, such as sleep, sleep, gastrointestinal symptoms such as IBS, and headaches. These are not associated with myofascial pain syndrome.
0: It seems our patient is sore all over and has multiple
1: trigger points. True, but we need to keep our definition straight. Myofascial pain syndrome is mostly confined to one anatomical region. Trigger points are the term for tender spots and affected muscles, as seen with myofascial pain syndrome. Tender points in fibromyalgia do not refer or radiate to other locations, but tend to be symmetrically distributed throughout the body. Tender points are also not limited to muscular locations, but may include other soft tissue structures. I've
0: heard about the jump sign with myofascial pain syndrome. What is that?
1: Jump sign is a sudden involuntary jerk or wince in response to pressing a trigger point. This is notably not typical of fibromyalgia. So remember upon palpation of our patient, they did not jump or wince.
0: Okay, so I'm thinking this may be more widespread than myofascial pain syndrome. Before moving on, can we discuss the treatment for myofascial pain syndrome?
1: Because of its mechanical basis, patients should be prescribed physical therapy and stretching. Discussion should include regular low-impact physical activity. There may be benefit from massages, ice packs, and anti-inflammatories as needed.
0: Great, Ben. It sounds like we have narrowed the differential to fibromyalgia and some autoimmune diseases. What can we do next to narrow it further?
1: Well, fibromyalgia is a diagnosis of exclusion. This patient may benefit from further investigation of inflammatory diseases by obtaining a more thorough history and perhaps checking labs such as complete blood count, CRP, ESR, and antibodies, including for an investigation of rheumatoid arthritis or lupus. If there is a strong suspicion, the patient may need a referral to rheumatology.
0: Let's say those all came back normal. What's next?
1: We could also order thyroid function tests since hypothyroidism can cause myopathies and we can get a CK, which is a marker of muscle damage. We must make note though, fibromyalgia is a clinical diagnosis. It is often not necessary to screen for every rheumatological condition.
0: Great point, Ben. Now what criteria would fulfill a diagnosis of fibromyalgia?
1: Fibromyalgia is twice as likely to present in women, typically between 30 to 50 years old, but can occur at any age. Diagnostic guidelines from the American College of Rheumatology have undergone several revisions, now including the Widespread Pain Index and the Symptom Severity Score, which attempts to quantify diffuse non-pain syndromes. More general guidance includes evaluation of these three criteria. Number one, the pain must be widespread, which can be measured with widespread pain index scale. Number two, symptoms must be present for at least three months. Number three, there are no other medical disorders to explain the pain.
0: Okay, those three points are easy to remember. Self-reported widespread pain index, three months of symptoms, and pain not caused by anything else.
1: Former guidelines also included criteria of 11 out of 18 anatomical tender points on exam which would certainly help make the diagnosis. Some of the other symptoms I mentioned would include fatigue, which is commonly reported with fibromyalgia, and concurrent depression, anxiety, or irritable bowel syndrome.
0: Okay, what exactly is the cause of fibromyalgia?
1: You know, that's a great question, but I don't have a specific answer. There is ongoing research into the pathophysiology of fibromyalgia, Studies have shown consistently increased activity in the brain insula with fibromyalgia. Patients also have elevated levels of glutamate and substance P and likely lower dopamine and serotonin levels. As conditions such as this are likely multifactorial, genetics and environmental factors such as child abuse also play a role.
0: That makes some sense why fibromyalgia shares several features with other pain disorders with a strong central component such as migraines, tension headaches, temporomandibular joint disorder, and irritable bowel syndrome.
1: Yeah, you got it. Let's talk about the treatment for fibromyalgia. Initially, patient education is the most important. Patients need to be empowered to simultaneously address mental health, lifestyle, and medical treatment. Patients should be educated and encouraged to have regular low-intensity aerobic exercise and receive cognitive behavioral therapy. Sleep and nutrition should also be addressed.
0: Okay, great. Now, some of our careful listeners may remember our patient had increased pain with exercise. How do you explain this?
1: This goes back to the importance of regular, low-intensity aerobic work, such as walking, biking, and swimming. Consistency with this is likely the most effective way to reduce daily symptoms. A Cochrane review of 13 studies found that aerobic exercise improved quality of life metrics and supported increased physical function and reduced pain, fatigue, and stiffness. The patient should be encouraged to approach this activity in a graduated fashion, likely with initial supervision.
0: What medications could we use to help with this condition?
1: The FDA has approved three drugs for fibromyalgia. These are duloxetine, milnasopran, and pregabalin. Narcotics should be avoided, and NSAIDs are not effective as monotherapy.
0: Okay, can we sum up fibromyalgia with some high yield points?
1: You bet. Fibromyalgia is a clinical diagnosis with three main criteria. Number one, widespread pain. Number two, three months of symptoms. And number three, no other clear etiologies for the pain. It typically presents in women aged 30 to 50 years. The exact pathophysiology is largely unknown, but likely an increased sensitization of the central nervous system. Treatment involves regular low-intensity aerobic exercise. Strong emphasis should be placed on mental health and sleep. There may be benefit from milnacipran, duloxetine, or pregabalin.
0: I'd like to add fibromyalgia will continue to be a controversial diagnosis because of a lack of clinically apparent objective changes. Although some have argued that providing a diagnostic label to everyday symptoms increases illness behavior, there are now more studies suggesting that patients may improve after a proper diagnosis and treatment are provided.
1: Great insight. Definitely something to keep in mind. Are you ready for our next case? Let's get right to it. All right. A 42-year-old male has persistent 8 out of 10 pain around the base of the heel. He states the pain started shortly after ankle surgery six months ago when his foot was crushed in a motor vehicle accident. He places a pillow under his foot at night to keep it from touching the bed sheets, since contact causes a burning pain. His heel is mildly edematous, cool to touch, and hypopigmented. There is no gross deformity. Ankle dorsiflexion strength is 4 out of 5, but all other lower extremity strength and reflex tests are normal. What is your differential diagnosis?
0: So, it sounds like the patient has neuropathic pain onset shortly after trauma and surgery. He reports allodynia, or pain triggered by a normally non-painful stimulus. We noted vasomotor changes, including hypothermia and hypopigmentation. There's also edema and decreased strength with dorsiflexion which is in the L4 myotome. You got it. Well, there are some diagnoses I don't want to miss, such as DVT or compartment syndrome, given the patient's unilateral lower extremity edema, but those are unlikely given the long history of symptoms. I'm suspecting complex regional pain syndrome, but we should also investigate further for peripheral vascular disease, neuropathy, or Raynaud's Phenomenon.
1: Those are some great points. What are the diagnostic criteria for complex regional pain syndrome, or CRPS?
0: The Budapest criteria outlines four components. Number one, persistent pain disproportionate to the original injury. Number two, the patient reports at least one symptom in three of the following four categories. Sensory, vasomotor, pseudomotor or edema, motor or trophic changes. Number three, at least one sign in two of the following four categories as assisted by the physician during examination. Sensory, vasomotor, pseudomotor or edema, motor or trophic changes. Number four, exclusion of the possible etiologies. For example, infection, radiculopathy, neuropathy, or vascular disorder.
1: Great. Will you please elaborate what you mean by sensory, vasomotor, pseudomotor, and trophic changes?
0: Absolutely. I will just give examples of each. Sensory changes would be increased sensitivity to painful or non-painful stimuli. Vasomotor would be changes in the color or temperature of the skin. Pseudomotor or edema would be hypo or hyperhidrosis and or edema. Motor atrophic can be seen with decreased range of motion, decreased strength, tremors, or changes in the nail and hair growth.
1: Now, I also know there are two types of CRPS. Can you tell our listeners more about that?
0: Sure. Type 1 was formerly called reflex sympathetic dystrophy, or RSD, again meaning there is no evidence of peripheral nerve injury. Type 2 was formerly termed causalgia which refers to cases in which a peripheral nerve injury is present. The most common example being related to carpal tunnel syndrome. I remember this with, quote, cos algae is due to T-W-O nerve damage.
1: Great. So type 1 means there's no distinct nerve damage, while type 2 means there's identifiable nerve damage, or it's due to nerve damage. It's important to really distinguish that type 2 does not require strict Budapest criteria for diagnosis. In further comparison between the two, which is most common?
0: CRPS type 1 accounts for about 90% of CRPS, so type 2 is only 10%. The most common ideology is fractures, the second would be blunt trauma, and third would be surgery. Now that I've told you the most common causes, can you tell me the pathophysiology of CRPS?
1: Sure. Similar to fibromyalgia, the pathophysiology is not entirely understood. Most theoretical mechanisms have proposed the pain stems from sensory, motor, and sympathetic dysfunction with sensitization of the peripheral and central nerves. There is also this idea of increased pro-inflammatory cytokines locally in the bloodstream and cerebral spinal fluid, which leads to edema, vasodilation, and other local manifestations.
0: Right on. Now let's say our patient returns in six months for a follow-up.
1: What kind of changes would we likely see? Well, there are three defined stages, each lasting up to five months. So let me explain each stage first. Stage one is the acute phase, which is what we have seen with this patient with edema, vasomotor dysregulation, and allodynia. Stage two is the dystrophic stage. So to answer your question, We would likely see this stage at about six months. The skin and muscle will atrophy, nails will be brittle, and the patient may have intense pain with mottled skin. The final stage, stage three, is known as the atrophic stage. The skin is now pale, smooth, shiny, cyanotic, and contains contractures, decreased pain, and no more vasomotor changes.
0: All right, what are some treatments that could be offered to this patient?
1: The mainstays of treatment here will be rehab therapies coupled with pharmacotherapy treatment. PT and OT can improve outcomes of CRPS when started within the first year of symptoms. The objective would be to improve range of motion, desensitization, decrease swelling, and increase functional use of the extremity. The gold standard on exams will be the stellate ganglion block for upper extremity and lumbar sympathetic block for lower extremity. The best supported initial treatments in literature are corticosteroids, bisphosphonates, and nasal calcitonin. It is important to treat CRPS aggressively to prevent chronic pain syndrome. Again, sympathetic blocks are often done first, which is both therapeutic and can serve as a diagnostic procedure. There are more procedures done, such as radiofrequency ablation, spinal cord or dorsal root ganglion stimulators, or an intrathecal pump. We must remember, though, CRPS can widely vary and treatment should be an individualized approach. All right, you nailed a couple tough questions. Now it's time for a lightning round. I am ready. How long do the symptoms have to persist to diagnose fibromyalgia? Three months. Is fibromyalgia more common in males or females?
0: It is thought to be twice as common in females.
1: And what age range does fibromyalgia typically present?
0: Typically 30 to 50 years, but it can present at any age. Incidence tends to increase with age.
1: Is the jump sign more typical in fibromyalgia or myofascial pain syndrome?
0: Myofascial pain syndrome.
1: What type of CRPS is associated with a peripheral nerve injury?
0: CRPS type 2, or it is due to nerve damage, 2 being TW0.
1: And what is the most common type of CRPS? Type 1. What is considered the current gold standard treatment for CRPS?
0: Stellate ganglion or lumbar sympathetic block.
1: And what is the name of the criteria to diagnose CRPS type 1?
0: The Budapest criteria.
1: All right, let's review some key points. What are your takeaways from this discussion?
0: Number one, fibromyalgia is a clinical diagnosis characterized by the widespread musculoskeletal pain and a variety of mental symptoms. There are three diagnostic criteria for fibromyalgia one, self-reported widespread pain index, number two, three months of symptoms, and number three, no other identifiable etiology. Treatment of fibromyalgia involves patient education, low-impact aerobic exercise, and pharmacotherapy such as duloxetine, milnacipran, and pregabalin. There are two types of CRPS, with type 1 representing about 90% of the cases In type 1 CRPS, there is no evidence of peripheral nerve injury. In type 2 CRPS, a peripheral nerve injury is present. Finally, remember the Budapest criteria with CRPS, treatment must be aggressive. Either the stellate ganglion or lumbar sympathetic block is considered the gold standard for diagnosis and treatment.
1: All right, that's a good summary. Call it a wrap.
0: Great talking with you, Ben.
1: we hope you enjoyed this board review episode on complex pain pathologies thanks again to Alec Curtis for assistance writing this episode and doctors David Lee and Nicholas Madaffer for reviewing the content if you thought this podcast was helpful please share with others don't forget to follow the AAP on Twitter Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on the latest news and opportunities